just sang and heard sung a prayer that God would reform our hearts, that He would reshape our hearts, in other words, that we would look more like Christ as a result of beholding His glory and His Word than before. Thankful for that prayer and that impulse. It's a godly prayer for us as Christians to be repeatedly praying to the Lord. We're really glad you're here today to hear the Word of God, and if you have a copy of the Bible, please turn there to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible but you need one, we have some available on the book table in the lobby. We'd love for you to take one home with you free of charge just as a a means of us serving you the Word of God so that you can take it in as often as possible and live it out by God's grace then. We're in Luke chapter 10, one final time today, looking at verses 38 through 42. One of the shorter passages we've studied in the book of Luke, whether that translates into a shorter sermon or not, will remain to be seen, but uh, bear with me with that. But let me read aloud, and you're welcome to please follow along silently as I read verses 38 through 42 in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter. Now as they, that's the disciples, and Jesus went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I recently heard about a young man, young-ish, he was 38. I'm 38, so young man, who uh, died of a heart attack just about a month ago. And uh, my sister knows this young man's parents, and uh, what they shared with my sister was that, uh, you know, as unlikely as it would seem for a 38-year-old to have a heart attack, at least it seems unusual to me, this man was working 100 hours a week regularly and sustaining himself with energy drinks, the Red Bull-type drinks. That's a lot of work, and that's a lot of energy drinks, And it ended up killing him. And I wonder if maybe a month before he died, someone said, you've got one month to live if you keep this up. You have got to adjust your priorities. You have got to stop working so much. You've got to start drinking water instead of Red Bull or Monster Energy. You need to sleep. Your body is going to break if you don't. Your priorities are out of whack. I wonder if you would have listened. Our priorities are easily thrown out, thrown off. Our priorities easily get out of order. And this passage shows us the possibility of even someone who loves Jesus, who follows Jesus, and still gets off track in terms of following him. It's possible to have wrong priorities in our following Jesus. This passage tells us the truth that Jesus 
deserves your attention. And so then we listen to Him. That's how we give Him our attention. That's what this passage calls us to do, is to listen to Christ and make that our priority. And what, we, what we're going to see as we work through this passage is that it's possible for us to be so devoted to serving Christ that we end up you know, working ourselves into a fury and end up not listening to Christ at all. In other words, it's possible to be so concerned with uh, helping Christ that we aren't feasting on Christ, doing His work rather than hearing His Word. Both are important. We've seen that even so far in Luke, that we're not just supposed to be, you know, um, merely taking in. We are supposed to serve other people with what we take in. But we are supposed to take in. And I think that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. The priority then is on listening to this one who deserves our attention. But maybe you, you wonder as we read this brief passage, why in the world is this passage here? Like this has nothing to do with the Good Samaritan from last week. It has nothing to do with these 72 uh, followers that Jesus had sent out with great power and authority to go preach the gospel in other towns and villages. So why is this passage here? But you remember in the passage that really preceded or was intricately tied to the story of the Good Samaritan, you have Jesus asking this lawyer who he was talking to, what are the two greatest commands. And the lawyer, as we said, got an A plus on his answer. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the way you show love for your neighbor is by serving them. Even if that person technically is your enemy, he's still your neighbor, and so you go out of your way to serve. So there is that emphasis on the you love your neighbor, and the way you show that is by serving your neighbor in their time of need. But he had also pointed out that the greatest command is loving God with all your heart. And as part of that, uh, what, what Jesus is doing now is looping back to that idea of you love God with all your heart. And the way you show that is by listening to him with great energy and zeal and enthusiasm and uh, devotion. And so I think the connection here is, is Luke is placing this passage. I think it's out of order chronologically. In other words, I think this happened, say, weeks perhaps after, uh, after the other passages we're studying here. But Luke has placed it here intentionally to make a point. To love God with all your heart means to listen to what God has to say. And so this passage is making this very important uh, thought clear that Jesus deserves all your attention. So listen to him. The man I told you about lived in what we could call the tyranny of the urgent. And though I don't know what he did for work, I'm sure he thought it was super important. And maybe it was uh, in, in some very important ways. But perhaps uh, whereas he was running on steam in his job, perhaps you've been running on steam in your devotion to Christ. And this passage is calling you to, to be filled with Christ by listening deeply to him. So here in verse 38, it points out that Jesus and his followers are still uh, on their way toward Jerusalem. You remember back in chapter 9, there was a very important moment where the whole rest of the book kind of hinges now that Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem where he's going to lay down his life voluntarily for our sake, for the sake of sinners. But he comes into this home 
of, of a woman named Martha. And this isn't the only place where Martha is mentioned in the Bible. You remember very clearly that in the book of John, she has a, a brother named Lazarus. And Jesus raised that man from the dead as a foretaste of our own resurrection and of his own resurrection. But uh, Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, demonstrating humility and generosity uh, as, as she uh, gave him uh, perhaps a place to sleep and a place to eat. And we, uh, Luke tells us that this woman had a, a sister named Mary, probably very likely a, a younger sister, based on the fact that it says that Martha welcomed her into her home. Kind of an indifferent detail there, but nonetheless, uh, Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Doesn't that just sound lovely? And Martha notices this is happening. Maybe they're in another room and is kind of distressed by that. Why is she so distressed? Because the bathroom hasn't been cleaned yet. And because the food isn't on the table yet. And because the guest bed isn't made yet. And you're sitting there acting like the most important thing is just to listen to what Jesus is teaching it says that she's sitting at the Lord's feet, which we've seen elsewhere in, uh, in this book. Back in chapter 8, I won't turn there, but a, a man who had been healed by Jesus, had evil spirits cast out of him. Now he's clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. So this is demonstrating this is a, a posture of humility, a, a posture of teachability. And both of those, and as I prayed for us, the Lord, for the Lord to make us humble people, We don't just need humble elders. We need humble elders. So pray for that, for me and for Clayton. As as Israel, you know, many of you uh, were here when when Israel resigned at our members meeting last week. So I would say to pray for that for him as well. Pray that for him as well, for sure. But I'm just saying, Clayton and I need God's grace to live humbly, to walk humbly before you. But this is the calling of every Christian, to walk in humility. And one of the ways you demonstrate your humility is by sitting at Jesus' feet, not making demands on him. And so you see her... Uh, you see Mary's teachability and humility and sitting here and listening, but Martha was distracted. Again, exactly what she was distracted by, we don't know. Maybe she's banging the pots in the kitchen extra loudly, kind of passive-aggressively, like if you were helping, we'd already have the food on the table. Can't say anybody's ever done that in my experience, but maybe they have in yours. Uh, But all that to say, Martha was distracted. And this is a temptation for us as disciples. This passage is laying out multiple temptations for us. One is to be distracted. To be distracted means to have your attention cast on something other than what it's supposed to be on right now. And we're really good at being distracted. And I would argue, as others have before me, that we like to be distracted. We actually crave it. Perhaps if you want to prove this, go stand in an elevator with several other people and see who the first person is who pulls their phone out. Or go stand in the line at Starbucks or even the line at Cracker Barrel on a day like Mother's Day when everybody wants to be there and see who's really waiting just standing watching other you know, birds fly or people walk around. They're all standing there with their phone in their hands, distracted by it. That's a vi- I'm cherry-picking the easiest kind of distraction here, but we're also distracted by other responsibilities, right? So, I mean, maybe our greatest responsibility in the moment is to parent, and instead we're distracted by a game. We could go on and on. But Martha is distracted, and this is a temptation for us as disciples as well. She's distracted with much serving. What that probably means is these weren't bad things. 
She was probably distracted by good things, important things, things that need attention, maybe not all our attention. And so Martha was distracted, but you also see that she was demanding. This can be a temptation for us as well. She went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And the way this is written in the Greek is it's expecting a positive answer from Jesus. In other words, you care, don't you? And the response we would naturally give if somebody asked that would be, well, yes, of course I care. So she asks it in a way that says, clearly you're on my side on this. And by the way, if you would stop teaching her, she wouldn't just be sitting there. You see this tone in her, in her voice? Do you not care? And if you do, since you do, is kind of what she's saying, tell her then to help me. That's demanding. And whereas she just started off this sentence with the word Lord, what does that mean? I submit to you. Like you're up here and I'm down here. That's what a Lord means, is that you're higher. But here she's kind of reversing that. She's telling Jesus what to do. Maybe you would never be so bold in a situation like this, but are you distracted and are you demanding about what we expect God to do for us? Like, I've served you this hard for this long, and I still don't have X, Y, or Z. And I thought by now I'd have all three. So disciples are tempted toward distraction. Disciples are tempted toward being demanding. See this contrast of two priorities, though, whereas Martha is especially focusing on the serving, Mary's especially focused on the listening part. And the way this passage is laid out is not to say it's unimportant to serve, but it's especially important to listen to the Lord. And so the Lord gets her attention, which is all that is demonstrated by him repeating her name twice there. You are anxious and troubled about many things. And that is probably the case for every one of us in this room today. And so maybe, whereas on your bulletin, I can't see if this is happening or not, just so you know. But you know, So here's my pastoral prayer. But maybe on your sermon notes, you have all the things you're supposed to do this afternoon. Like, call mom eat lunch. Uh, again, can't see what's happening or not. No judgment if it is. I'm just saying it says sermon notes at the top of that page. Love for you to take notes on that sermon. But what I'm saying is you have things that are distracting you because you're anxious and troubled about them. There are many things yearning for your attention. The pings of your phone Even while I've been preaching, my phone rang. I usually have it on Do Not Disturb. I think it is on Do Not Disturb, which means it's a close friend or family member who tried to call me. And I'm like, Mom, I'm preaching right now. But I don't know who it was. I'm just saying. There are things calling for your attention right now. And Jesus says, don't be anxious about them. Don't be troubled by them. There is something that is more important. There's the many things over here everything else in your life. And there's the one thing over here, and that's what you're supposed to prioritize, as Jesus is arguing. And there's one of you that got it right. And it was Mary. This is what he's saying to Martha here. Mary has chosen the good portion. So you have these two priorities, but you also have two outcomes. 
One of them is implied. And that's Mary's outcome. Mary's chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha has chosen the less important portion. That's the implied line. And the outcome that's implied from that is that will be taken away from her. What do you think it means for this outcome to be something that will be taken away? I think it means eventually these temporal needs that you've been meeting will not be important anymore. Okay, so we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. It's good to get clean water into African villages where they don't have clean water. Absolutely good to do. But are those people going to die in 50 years even if we give them clean, excellent sources of water? Yes. So those temporal needs are eventually going to pass away. Should we prioritize them? Yes. Should we prioritize the gospel higher than them? I argue yes. That's what we're talking about in our Sunday school class. So I think the the uh, less important portion, what Jesus is saying here is there are temporal needs and there are eternal things. And we, from the ministry of Paul, particularly in 2 Corinthians 4, should focus especially on what is eternal rather than what is temporal. We look on things that are eternal rather than things that are temporal. When Jesus says that Mary has chosen the portion which will not be taken away from her, I sat there not really scratching my head, but just kind of wondering, where have I heard that line before? And then it hit me. It it was from a passage we looked at several, probably months ago, I think, maybe two months ago, the parable of the uh, sower and how you have all these seeds that grow at various speeds and bear different amounts of fruit. But some of those uh, seeds grow up really fast and then the sun burns them up and they're gone. But then there's, there are those who bear seeds fruitfully and faithfully. And the end of the passage, when Jesus tells him uh, what uh, the result is of these, of these seeds, he says that, um, I'm sorry, I have it right in front of my eyes and I'm not seeing it. Verse 15, I really thought I had a clearer verse number written down elsewhere on my desk right now. Uh, but let me, read, let me just read this uh, portion of uh, this parable of the soils. So the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear uh, fruit with patience. Okay, here's where I see it. Now that I finish reading that whole passage, at the end of the next paragraph, here's the line, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This person who puts all his you know, seeds in one basket and is especially focused on the short term, even what he thinks is going to be taken away. And Jesus is saying, Mary's portion is not going to be taken away. In other words, her fruit is eternal here because what she's doing is taking in Christ. That's the one needful thing is that you get Christ. Not that you are in the hall of fame of Christians because you saved so many lives 
and you, you know, started so many orphanages. These are good things to do. But at the end of time, you need to have Christ. You need to be rich in knowing Him. And that happens through sitting at His feet, Jesus is saying here. Which obviously makes you ask the question of, how do I sit at Jesus' feet? How do I take in of Him? How do I make this priority of listening a higher priority than doing? And maybe you're sitting there arguing, like, well, if I stop the doing, then we're going to have major problems. Like, those diapers in the nursery are not going to change themselves. And those Sunday school classes are not going to teach themselves. And those floors are not going to mop themselves. And we could go on and on. Yes, we do need to serve. We need to serve enthusiastically. And we need more people to be willing to pitch in on that. That's the case in every church across the world. But we especially need to be feasting on Christ. That's the priority. It's not an either or. It's a both and. But the serving flows from the listening and from the knowing of Christ. And so... We want to listen to Christ. We do that through Scripture memory. And I want to just encourage you to take out a note card and write a verse on it, or maybe two verses on it. You don't need to go crazy. Just take a note card and write a verse on it, and then carry that around with you for a day or two. And then after that, write a second verse on a different note card and carry that around with you. And then review the two together until you feel like you know them really well. And add a third to that stack. And you go on and on, and you do this every day, and you'll have an entire chapter memorized in less than a month. And so I want to encourage you to to make that uh, a consideration for you, all right? As to to, to make Scripture memory a priority in your life. A second priority is simply just reading the Bible with other people, uh, another way to listen to the Word of God. And one of the things I love is when I'm getting ready to preach a passage, asking other people, what stands out to you about that passage? And what never ceases to amaze me is that other people see a passage with a different emphasis. It's like there's a slightly different colored lens on the passage for them just because they're coming from a different experience. They've had different opportunities. They've had different uh, sources of input theologically and practically. And so when you read the Bible with other people, whether it's your spouse or your children or coworkers or just fellow church members in a small group, there's immense profit in that uh, opportunity. So I want to encourage you toward that. And the last uh, way of listening to Scripture that I'll lay out right here is in your bulletin, and we're setting a week aside at the end of June that I just wrote on the church calendar in the office, Bible Immersion Week. And all that means is, from 9 till 12 that week, I'm going to be sitting in Connect 3 with my open Bible, this Bible right here, and I'm not going to schedule anything else for that week from 9 till 12. If you want me at 12.01, I'll be available. But if you uh, would like to join me, I would love for you to join me. And you might say, I'm only available from 10 till 11.30. Come from 10 to 11.30. My thought at this moment is, we'll read Genesis on Monday and Exodus on Tuesday and Leviticus on Wednesday and just go like that. And if it goes really well, like as in more than one person shows up, we'll probably do it again another time later in the year. But why would I put it on the calendar? Because what gets on the calendar is what we do, is what we prioritize. Yesterday I had my uh, police chaplaincy training over at the police station, at least an element of that training. And it was on our calendar as a family for two weeks. As soon as they put it in my email, I put it on our our, uh, family's calendar. 
But that meant that it happened. And if I hadn't put it on our calendar, it probably would have gotten covered up by other responsibilities, other priorities. What I'm saying is I wouldn't urge you to put Bible Immersion Week on your calendar or at least put from 7 till 7.30 or 7.15 to 7.20. Whatever time frame you have, put that as part of your day because then you can protect it and you can plan around it rather than letting other things jump on top of it. So those are the, the ways to listen to Scripture. Let me just give you a few benefits to reading Scripture, to listening to Scripture, to sitting at Jesus' feet, to use the line from this passage. One is perspective. I don't think we understand just how off our perspective gets, just how much we let the sorrows of life overwhelm the truth of Scripture. And we start to read Scripture through the lens of our sorrows rather than reading our sorrows through the lens of Scripture. So we actually view it completely backwards. So reading the Bible, reading the book of Revelation, for instance, gives you tremendous perspective about what is true and what is lasting. It obviously gives you joy and refreshment. It gives you truth to meditate on, which is, again, one of the great benefits of Scripture memory is then you have it. Even just for that day, when you're sitting at a red light, you can go back to that truth. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And you can just turn that into a prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are the one who feeds me. You are the one who protects me, that my life is in your hands. And now the red light's gone, and so your mind's somewhere else, but you spent those 10 seconds meditating on Scripture. So uh, you have truth to meditate on when you listen to Christ. You have a word to share with others. I get calls regularly or texts regularly. You probably do too from people who need encouragement, who have sorrows, who have just sinned in a particular way and need to be picked back up. And if your well is dry because you haven't listened to Scripture, it's probably going to be obvious to that person. Uh, Not that that's the only motivation. I'm just saying you have here truth to share with other people. You have a word to give when you have listened to God's Word. And then I talked a little bit about this in Sunday school as well last hour. Listening to the Word of God calibrates your conscience. And just to to give a 30-second synopsis on this, we all have a particular conscience, and you could say it's the shape of a triangle, and we would say this is what I believe is right and wrong. And we assume that God's triangle would match up exactly with ours. But actually, we've added things, so I'm going to move God's triangle a little bit higher. At the bottom is everything that we have added that actually isn't part of God's conscience. And there are several things that God has in his triangle that we don't have in ours. And so we need to add things to our conscience. Like, it's actually wrong for me to fill in the blank. And we need to stop assuming that some things are wrong. We need to kind of clean up our conscience a little bit when we realize, oh, God never said I can't do this. God never said Christians never fill in the blank. And so what we need to do is calibrate our conscience. How do you do that? First and foremost, by listening to Jesus. Take in the word. Sit at his feet and let him calibrate your conscience. Perhaps your struggle is that uh, when you look at the possibility of being a doer or a hearer, and again, I'm not saying you do one or the other, we do both, but maybe for you, you're more of the doer. And so it's really hard for you to say no to somebody. One of the best ways you can serve other people is by saying no to them. Because then when you do say yes, they know that you're actually all in on that. So I would actually encourage you to develop a skill of, of learning to say no, which can be difficult to do, but say no with grace and humility, and it can actually be a great service to other people. 
Uh, as I thought about this, you know, the Lord's given us uh, three boys who have a variety of personalities and energy levels and things like that. One of our boys has more energy than the other two. And many of you who know our family well know exactly who I'm talking about. And the one who's doing somersaults and, you know, backflips and whatever else all day long, having him in our family reminds me that not everybody takes in the Word of God the same way. And not everybody has this personality where they can say, okay, I'm going to sit now and meditate calmly for one hour on the Word of God. That just is not going to work for this particular child of mine. So what I would encourage for someone like him, perhaps that's you, is wait until you're tired and then read the Word of God. Because you can, might be able to actually breathe at that point and like let the Word soak into your heart a little bit. Uh, you could also listen to an audio Bible while you jog. That is a wonderful way to burn off some energy and to take in the Word of God, to sit at Jesus' feet. But instead, as Martha does here, sometimes we turn having a clean house or a delicious meal or a perfect yard into an idol so that other people will worship us in some way. But as the great sage C-3PO once said, my pro- I am not programmed in a way that you know, allows me to be a deity or something along those lines. I actually have it written down here, so give me 10 seconds. Here it is. Uh, it is against my programming to impersonate deity. I think C-3PO was onto something when he said that. And I think we should have that same programming. We are not meant to be God. We are not meant to be worshipped as God, which is what C-3PO was saying. Like, don't bow down to me. I'm just a robot. And we should say, don't bow down to me and my perfect house. Martha, you don't need to have the perfect house in order for you to be a success in God's eyes. It is important to put food on the table, but sometimes peanut butter and jelly is better than an elaborate meal. But this idea of idolatry, I think, is really um, beautifully hit on in a book by Dane Ortland that recently came out called Deeper. And he's talking here about uh, some of the questions we should ask to help us get at what are we actually worshiping. And so listen to, to these uh, questions that he asks here. What does my mind tend to drift back to when I lie awake in bed? Oh, I didn't get the dishes done. Oh, I didn't get the house cleaned up. And on and on. I didn't get that project done at work today. What do I spend disposable income on? What in other people do I tend to envy? What is the one thing that, if God were to appear to me today and tell me I would never have it, would make life feel not worth living? If I'm married, what would my spouse say I tend to give myself to that makes him or her feel neglected? How would my heart phrase the hymn, when blank, it is well with my soul? We sing, it is well with my soul. When all my ducks are in a row at work, it is well with my soul. How would you fill in that blank? When blank, it is well with my soul. And what do I find myself praying for that is nowhere promised in the Bible? These are the the questions we should ask that help us get to, what am I worshiping right now? And where Martha was saying, I'm worshiping having the perfect meal or the perfectly clean house. It appears those are what her priorities were. Mary was saying, I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet because when I am filled with Christ's truth, it is well with my soul. And so this passage, I hope what I can make clear to you is not meant to beat us over the heads. It's actually, you know, like, you need to stop trying so hard. Or you need to try harder to stop trying. What this passage is trying to tell us to do is take 
a deep breath and breathe in the truth of Christ from the Word of God by sitting at His feet. Perhaps we have convinced ourselves that we can serve Him hard enough to justify ourselves. God will love me well if I have taught enough Sunday school classes, worked enough weeks in the nursery, sung enough songs in church, and just keep going. Just fill up that list. Then God will love me. But then perhaps we also think, well, if I listen long enough, like if I listen to an audio Bible for an hour every day, then Christ will love me. Stop preaching these false gospels to yourself. God doesn't love us more because of what we do for Him or because of how long we listen to Him. God loves us on the basis of what Christ has done, not on the basis of what we have done. So trust that Christ's work on the cross was enough. And it will free you then to serve Him out of love and to listen out of love rather than to demonstrate that you have it in you to take care of this problem yourself. The priorities that the world throws at us all the time. We need to have the grace of Christ and the Lord gives the grace in Christ to sort through those and know how this moment requires serving and this moment requires listening. The Lord gives us that, that grace. The Lord gives us that wisdom. We need to ask Him for it though. And so perhaps as you've, as you've listened to this sermon, the, the one takeaway for you is I need to slow down. That is a good takeaway. What that, what that means is that you're believing that Christ is enough for you, not that you have to do everything yourself. For others, though, maybe there is the other extreme you need to kind of work toward a little bit of like, I have sat for a long time and I need to use the gifts the Lord has given me, the biblical input that I've taken in over and over again, and I need to use these in ministry, whether that just be sitting down to read the Bible with a fellow church member or serving in some particular way. So there are there are applications for all of us. You know your heart better than anyone else. And so perhaps you are the type of person that leans really hard toward the monastic, I'm just going to sit and read the Bible all day. I don't know a whole lot of people like that, but I assume there are many like them. Uh, I think a lot of us, particularly in the age in which we live, with the constant notifications coming at us and the constant buzz of the news in the background, I think we tend to be really wound up people who really just want to do, do, do more and more and more and more. And we need the Lord's grace to help us slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus and realize that He is the highest priority. There's one thing that's going to last. There's the one needful thing, Jesus says, the good portion that will not be taken away, and that is feasting on Christ. So may the Lord give us grace to feast on Him today as we serve Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to be people who in an age of distraction know how to survive and thrive spiritually. And in order to do that, Lord, we need your word. We need to sit in silence and let you speak to us through your word. We pray that you would bring us to a great point of humility and tenderness toward you and for that to reveal itself in the way that we listen to you pray that no one would leave here today feeling excessively guilty about how hard they have been serving without taking in the Bible or that they haven't read enough of the Bible. But rather than giving us this sense of guilt, this passage, Lord, gives us a sense of freedom that you are the one who wants to feed us. And so may we sit at your feet today. In Christ's name, amen.